This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. She basically called me a bunch of names, and you know, and you know, what are you thinking? And you're an idiot. And halfway through the year, I'm kind of thinking, yeah, she was right. Yeah. But um, I did them as eight by tens, and the only reason I did them that big was just because I didn't want to be so constricted to the smaller size. Mm-hmm. Um, but his idea was just these little studies that would these little doodles you'd do one a day, and of course I had to take it to a different level, <laughs> you know. And um, just because I started getting the idea early on, like wow, these are just. I used it as a project. Like, you know, as an artist, you always have all these ideas in your head. And, and you only have so many hours in a day to get them done. And so I looked at that as a platform to be like, hey, you know, I'm going to use this as like a mental trash can. Because sometimes you can think you have this great idea and you put it down on paper and you're like mm-hmm. halfway through it. You're like, that was really a bad idea. You know what I mean? You just mm-hmm. That's why artists always say they have all this half unfinished work laying around, you know, and. So that was kind of my opportunity to work through that. Mm-hmm. And you know, there were some days that it was absolutely horrible, at least in my mind. You know, I was like, yeah. Oh, yeah, that didn't work so at all. So you did one of these every day? For every three? day. Holy every God. day, yeah. And, and, you know, I wanted, I originally said, oh, I'll spend about a half an hour on each one of them. Realistically, it was like two hours on each one of them. <laughs> and some of them were longer. Like there's some that took the whole day. Like that one over there, that mahi with the squares, mm-hmm. all those little squares. Yeah. That one took me like six hours. <laughs> that blew my whole day, basically. But then there was like travel days and like, you know, road trips up to New Jersey and stuff like that. That takes you two days to get there. It's like, when am I going to, I'm driving here. I'm driving my family up there. When am I going to draw her? And then there's tournament days, and you know when are you going to draw then? You know, and so it's like you had to kind of figure out when when I was going to do this, and um, so I would come up with these little projects in between and try to figure out how to make it keep it interesting for me. And um, but it was cool, you know, like you yeah. people really gravitated towards it, and it allowed me to kind of spread my wings with some of the audience and get them involved because they were booking days. Mm-hmm. and so like they were doing birthdays and anniversaries and you know and i i had half the year booked so really the project paid for itself uh-huh. mm-hmm. which was great right and that's really kind of what kept me going okay on it 
Um, but yeah, at the <laughs> December 31st, it was a piece of ahi tuna with a fork in it. <laughs> I'm done. Stick a fork in me. So yeah, the 365 fish project. But you know, there's some pieces from it around the gallery. You know, mm-hmm, so yeah. we we created you know a lot of fun things. I think oh, yeah, yeah. during that. So um, it, it was a good time. Yeah, it was a good time. No, so. I remember looking forward to it, you know. Yeah. It was neat. I pondered doing it again sometimes, but then, <laughs> you know, we're just busy. You it, should it, do it on leap year. What's that? Leap year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah, on a leap year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 366 fish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Challenge yourself a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Challenge myself. <laughs> I'll have to remember that. All right, listen. Carlene, how you doing? I'm doing. Yeah. Yes, sir. All right. So we're rolling, right, Yanni? Yeah. Okay. So um, Carlene joins us today behind the bar. Thank you very much for coming and joining us today. Of course. Um, we are the Connected by Water podcast powered by Joey Cardi Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram and fueled by our very good friends at Papa's PLR Rum, who remind us never to be a spectator. Today, I am joined by my very good friend, Eric Leach, and his father, Mike Leach. This is the extra special um father's day edition of uh the connected by water podcast and i really think that we've never done a father's day edition before the podcast has been going Mm -hmm. for about three years or so now and um i've always said i wanted to do this but um i wanted it to be the right father and son (laughs) combo and i i pretty much feel that i got it here um so you know both you guys are legends yeah you guys are legends in your own right so i really really appreciate you giving me your time being here today um we're going to talk about a whole bunch of things today um and you know it's just i'm just happy to have you guys here and we were talking before um the episode started about how you know and we mentioned it when when you're on um, the last episode that you were on and I just want to, I'm glad you're here because I can just thank you personally. Oh, you know, I, I, I don't think that you really truly understand the impact that you've had on my career. Really? Um, yeah. And, and, and I can tell you, you know, a lot of people when you're young and you're full of spunk and you're just, I don't want to even say fearless cause there's plenty of fear there, <laughs> you know, when you're, when you're young and you're, you're just trying, but you go through it anyway. Um, I, I approached you um, and Jim Brown at um, the IGFA when it was the library in mm-hmm. the library down the street. Yeah, yeah. from here um, when it was just a small place and it was primarily one big archive. And yeah. um, as a 17 year old kid holding up my work, bringing a portfolio full of stuff and asking if there's anything I can do or be involved with at the IGFA, and um, you, you didn't tell me no. You know, you guys had me spread my work out on a table. You gave me the time of day. Um, you made me feel real good. You guys gave me all the confidence I needed to keep it going. And sometimes that's all a kid needs. Good. Um, I'm so glad I, to I, hear I, I just wanted to personally shake your hand and say, <laughs> and say thank you very much for doing that for me. Because, um, you know, people always like to say, oh, yeah, you know, I remember Dennis and, you know, oh, I, I started him off or I got, it really was not any one, but you. Yeah. So, but okay. thank you. Well, for, good. Thank I'll you take for, half thank credit you for, for yeah, everything. You got it. So all commissions go to Mike Leach. Um, I want to, uh, we talked about our do-gooder yep. of the week um, before we get started. Um, let's bring that up here from Corey. And um, it's uh, a guy that I mean, he doesn't win the do-gooder just for this one moment, but he, you know, he, um, he's always sending uh, videos to Corey, um, Redwine, of 
him doing trash and debris pickups. And, you know, he runs a Tide and Tide Charters um, out of Cocoa Beach, Florida. And his name is Ian Bertot. Bertot, mm-hmm. I hope I'm mm-hmm. saying that right. And one thing that put him over the edge for being the do-gooder of the week was he found a 50-gallon fuel bladder um, in 200 foot of water. And he retrieved it, took it out of the water, brought it back to land safely, and safely disposed of it. Nice. Uh, and that's a pretty good do-gooder moment there. So Very good. Ian yes. gets the uh, whole bucket full of Starbright goodies. And um, enjoy, Ian. They're good for him. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you're very conservation-minded. Yes. I, I would say I, so. Absolutely. Um, take me through that a little bit. Um, from the standpoint of you're a longtime Floridian. Yes. Um, you've seen our resources go from all different levels here. Yes. And... Um, Take me through some of your thoughts as to where we were and where we're at now. Well, when I started in the early days with IGFA, it was back in the 1980s, and Elwood Harry was my boss. He was the president and chairman. Mm-hmm. And his mission or his view of mission for IGFA was not conservation at all. Uh, so I kind of had to ease him into it. He wasn't a opposed to conservation but he didn't think it was the mission of igfa mm-hmm. um, so we gradually got more involved in printing articles in the newsletter and that type of thing and and kind of eased him into having igfa involved in conservation and it grew and grew and grew from there yeah that- so it goes way back to the 1980s and he was tagging and releasing bluefin tuna back in those days too right so back in the 70s or 60s maybe give me some of your thoughts on florida in general um you see the way the state that things are in now yes um yeah. and you know can you recall you know like for example i'll bring up one example like the st Lucie inlet all the grass that used to be there. Mm-hmm. And, and oh, yeah. Rufus was in here telling us stories yeah. about, oh, back in the heyday, you could just go right out back and all day long just catch as many fish right, as you, you right. could see. And same way on the West Coast, the Caloosahatchee. Mm-hmm. Half the water out of Lake Okeechobee, when they're dumping it, goes on the West Coast. The other half comes out St. Lucie. And it kills the grass beds and, and consequently everything that lives in it, which bigger fish to snook and tarpon and everything else feed on so when you kill that you're basically eliminating a fishery you know for uh it gets terrible and you know you almost have to get out in salt water Mm -hmm. uh, in the inlet before you start catching fish like rufus used to say (laughs) just go up the river and catch all the way up probably trout and everything else up there yeah yeah and uh with with both of us, Eric, being Florida mm-hmm. boys, and we've, we've seen our fair share of the resources, you know, dwindle yeah. down. And, you know, it has the ability to bounce back, I think, you know. Um, we had uh, Manny Puig on last week, and he brought up a good point about, you know, like, listen, you know, sometimes it's just leaving it alone for a little bit, not necessarily forever. Allow You know, the ocean is a pretty resilient resource. Yeah. It, it, it can bounce back. And when I hear things like that, that's really what gives me the biggest hope mm-hmm. for it all is that, you know what, he was right. You know, it does bounce back, you know, but I think it's the efforts, I think, that really, you know, I guess the point I'm trying to make is that some people might think that it's a futile mission, that we're doomed and it's like there's nothing that we can do. But I, I refuse to believe that. Yeah, I, I no, refuse it, to give in. Yeah, if 
make the right decisions, it can come back, you know. Yeah. Yep. But so far, it's going the other way. Too much dredging. I mean, look at just the Port Everglades area. What used to be the intercoastal south of Port Everglades used to be lined with with uh, mangroves and all that. Now it's big ship dockage and seawalls and all that, you know. Yeah, all concrete. Yeah. Yep, definitely. Used to be a lot of tarpon in there. Oh, I remember the days yeah. of the hot water canal yep. tarpon and yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. snook down there. And, and the inlet itself used to be full of tarpon mm-hmm. because there was grass flats just inside, you know, just near the, the Coast Guard station now. Mm-hmm. A lot of grass flats in there, all gone. Yeah, yeah, all gone. And those are the those are the things. Those are the toughest parts, I think, that to get back. Yeah, yeah. you know, because I, I mean, are we worried that if we keep doing this and those outfalls keep happening, like like maybe there's going to be one day the grass doesn't come back? Yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I mean, yeah. we will see. But think how many people are at the sandbars every weekend? If you could get the sand, the two sandbars or three sandbars in Port Everglades for mm-hmm. Lauderdale. Start growing grass where the little bait fish and stuff could go. Yep. You know, but everybody's there. You know, there's 50 anchors every day, you know. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, that's you know? tough. I mean, I mean, in one hand, you're like, well, how do you tell people no, they can't yeah. go out and enjoy their boats and, and do all this stuff? But on the other hand, it's just like, yep. you know, you're, yeah. there's not one of the sandbars used to be an island. I remember an island there with casuarina pines and a, yeah. a, uh, Osprey nest in one of the trees up there, all washed away. Yeah, it's a shame. It's a shame. I really listen. I hope um, you know, there's a lot of work to be done. You know, and I hope uh, that as Florida grows, because it's growing <laughs> yeah. at at a very fast pace, and um, that we at least have it, you know, of, of sound mind to to try to keep our resources intact yeah. as, as much as we can. Absolutely. The um, so this is our Father's Day episode right you're both fathers i'm a father right you know and you know it's really nice to have you guys in here and i wanted to hopefully you guys could share some stories about some of you guys fishing together really what that means um you know when eric was on a a few weeks ago you know i asked him you know how much an influence you were and 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 all that but i i really kind of want to hear from you too Mm -hmm. you know what was it like you know, I asked him, yeah. what was it What was it like having a dad like you? But really, though, I mean, I feel you've been rewarded with a great son. I have. You know, I what have, was that yeah. like? Because as a father, I yeah. can look down at my to my son, and I understand the value of when he gives back some of what you love. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that really is great. Yeah. Well, fortunately, um, Eric was hooked on fishing right from the beginning. I mean, yeah. that's what he wanted to do. Sure. And in the early days, I mean, he was ready to come out. My wife and I would go out and catch bait for a tournament. We'd leave at 4 o'clock in the morning, and he'd come out. His job was to count how many pilchards or goggle eyes we had in the well. And sometimes he'd fall asleep. You were the counter? He'd fall asleep doing it sometimes. (laughs) But, I mean, that's how— Did you do that just to keep him occupied, maybe? (laughs) Yeah, to give him a job. He wanted to come out with us. I mean, he didn't care it was 4 o'clock in the morning. He's ready to go. Perfect. And uh, we had some great times. Uh, I remember the day that um, we were fishing a Pompano Rodeo. I think he was 13 at the time. Mm -hmm. And he was fully capable of— fishing himself you know i didn't have to let the line out for him or anything else and we were fishing over the Tenneco reef and as he was letting out the first pilchard on the 
one of our drifts. It took off, and he ended up with a 72, 73? 77. 77-pound 77 Wahoo. Really? Which at the time was a Pompano Rodeo record and stayed a record in the Pompano Rodeo for many years. Eventually, it dropped to second and then third. I don't know if it's kicked out of third place yet, but... Um, well, Those I mean, it probably remained memories. a junior record at, at least, right? How old yeah. were you when that happened? Thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah. Wow. It was yeah. just my mom, my dad, and myself on the boat. Yeah. That's it. Family just, fishing. Just day. the yeah. three of us. Wow. Nice. Yeah. We had another day. Uh, didn't turn out quite so good. That uh, we were going to outsmart everybody in a tournament where it was one of the few tournaments where you didn't have a bimini start. You could just put your lines in at eight o'clock wherever you wanted to be. So we were going to be smart, run way south. Mm -hmm. So at 8 o'clock in the morning, we were going to be down near Fowry or wherever we were going to be without wasting time running down there at right. starting at 8 o'clock. So we, it was so rough that morning that we had to run down the intercoastal. So we run down and we go out Baker's Hall over and we... At 8 o'clock, we're ready to go. We put our lines out in the water, and it was a miserable day. Again, it was just Eric and I and my wife, mm -hmm. Gussie, and uh, we fished all day. I figured normally the current would take us north, and at the end of the day, we'd be someplace up near Port Everglades, but the wind was out of the north, so we stayed right there. So at 4 o'clock, lines out, we had one kingfish to weigh in. Mm -hmm. It had been windy and rainy and miserable. Then we had to pound our way all the way up <laughs> to Port Everglades to be at weigh-in by 5 o'clock. And we get there about 10 of 5, 5 of 5, pull into Lauderdale Marina, which was the weigh station. We look around, there's nobody there. I said, geez, they all weighed their fish in already and left? Really? So we start asking around and said, where is everybody? They said, what are you talking about? We said, the tournament. This was supposed to be the way station. The oh, one? that was canceled at 7 o'clock this morning. <laughs> you guys never heard anything? You just got all day out there uh, and got beat up? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. But my well, wife, wife was well, a good for sport. For one kingfish. Yeah. One kingfish. That, well, you yeah. won the tournament, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we were the only one entered. So. Yeah. <laughs> The, uh, so when when Eric was on last time, um, sorry, I'm like pounding your dad yeah, with all these questions here. We, we, I just want to cross-reference some of the things that we yep. went over right, a little bit. So he's talking about his world record dog tooth. Yeah. Tuna, yeah. Right? Great, great catch. So one of the things that we discussed on the dog tooth was that it was taking a little while to, mm -hmm. to call the record. Now, was there any hesitation uh, on your end or any nepotism happening or maybe, maybe you just wanted to make them sweat it out on no, purpose? No, I had, you know, we, back in those days, we were getting maybe an average of a thousand applications a year. Mm -hmm. And so his came in, you know, I'm assuming I, I knew darn well it was caught in accordance with the rules. Right. But it goes through several people. It comes in and it, they make a jacket for it and, um, they check over the photos and make sure everything that's that we need is there. Yeah. Then it goes to a species identification person and they look it all over. And they pass it down to Jim Brown or whoever is next in line. It goes through mm -hmm. four or five people. Oh, okay. And finally it comes to me. And 
I mean, we had boxes. So it's got to go through boxes. them before it gets oh, to you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. the last one it comes so to. So by the time you've seen it, it's yeah. been verified a few times yes. already. Yeah, I'm the okay. final thing, yeah. and I give it a careful once-over. And this is as the president of the IJFI, Yeah, I'm right? the president yeah, of right. IJFI. So yeah. in the meantime, Eric calls me up one day and says, hey, what, what am I, you know, chopped liver? <laughs> What's my record doing, you know, and I well, actually, I don't know. I hadn't even thought about it. You know, I knew it would eventually get to me. So I start going down the line, and I find it in a box down here. And I say, hey, this is my son. Let's move it along. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so we finally got it uh, approved. And I, far, I believe it's still a record. still stands. Were there any sweating moments? Maybe maybe this might have been a little borderline. That yeah, been, not pretty at solid, all. right? No, not at all. Yeah. Yeah. Over yeah, the years, my know. dad and my mom have had numerous world records, too. Yeah. Yeah. They've just been broken. They've, they've all just, been broken? They've all been broken. Yeah, my wife had- Can you remember all of them? Uh, well, I don't have very many, so I can remember all mine. And my wife had 17 world records. What? Most of which were um, bonnethead sharks caught okay. in the early days before the bonnethead shark records got really big. Sure. I mean, now they're 15, 20 pound bonnet heads mm-hmm. that you just don't see down here in South Florida. But we were having fun in shallow water, uh, catching them on four pound, six pound, eight pound, 10, um, and setting the records. Now, to certify a record, it's got to be weighed on land. But the bonnet head sharks are in two feet of water. We were sight casting to them and having a good time. So once we got a bonnet head in, I'd get out of the boat, stand on the bottom, and hold the thing up, and we'd check this. Had a certified scale with us, and then we'd let it go. So every one of my wife's seventeen world records were all released alive. Oh wow, that's great! Including one we caught under. In fact, Eric was there that day too. We found a bunch of Cuban rafts floating offshore. I'm going to have to cut you off for one okay. second. We have a special special call coming in. For okay. You. Connected by water, can I help you? Yes, is this uh, the famous artist and uh, conservationist, uh, Dennis Friel? Uh, this might be. <laughs> I, I lo- use that <laughs> word famous loosely, though. Yeah. Uh, well, I do. I mean, they, you know, there's famous Amos, there's, you know, famous Nathan's hot dogs. God, I love those you cookies. Know, you're there. You're there. Hey, you're on Atlantic Avenue in Pompano. you got to be doing something right. Yeah, well. You know, we're trying. We're trying, Mike. <laughs> so I understand you're having a uh, Father's Day show tonight we with are. two of my favorite people on it. Yeah, we are. Mr. Mike Myatt, please uh, l- allow me to introduce you to uh, Mike and Eric Leach. <laughs> uh, hey, Mike. I refer, I refer to, to Mike as, as the boss, and, uh, and I've known Eric, um, hell man, most of your life. Yeah. Um, but, um, you know, I, I just wanted to call up and, and, and thank, thank Mike for a couple different things. I'll start with the important thing with the Father's Day thing is that, um, you know, he shared experiences with Eric when Eric was younger, like very few people that I had in my life at that point in time. I mean, him and his lovely wife, Gussie, who has to be part of every conversation when you talk about Mike. Well, we were just but, talking about Gussie's 17 world records that she held. Huh. Gussie is one of those people that literally, 
she smells like cotton candy when she walks by here. She is so sweet. She really is. I don't know that I've met a sweeter woman in my life with sending cards. And Mike used to keep a uh, an appointment book, calendar book in his pocket. And it always had a picture of Gussie on it, which my wife thought was endearing. And she would berate me all the time for not doing it myself. But I said, you know, there can only be one Mike Leach. Give me a break. I had the uh, the good fortune of uh, of working with Mike at IGFA. He was the president of IGFA when he hired me, and I thought I was going to be there for a couple of years, um, sort of a buried bridge in between a non compete I had in the publishing world. And it became quite apparent after watching the way that he acted and, and interacted that not only two years doesn't get it done, but um, it becomes a lifestyle. It comes part of you. And happy to report, uh, I made it 19 years. <laughs> That's awesome. Wow. You know, it's funny, you know, Mike, I, I never really put two and two together that, um, you know, Mike Leach started your career and my career in this, in this business. <laughs> yeah. Well, Mike Myatt was a big part of IGFA during some very important years. And, uh, heck of a guy and left definitely left the mark on IGFA. I didn't realize it was 19 years because he was still there when I left. Um, he, but, yep. I made it. I, I made it because of fortitude and um, obviously it's no great secret why I did leave. Yeah. Uh, but the good news is is I live about Oh, I'd say three quarters to a mile away from Pace Island, Florida. Okay, where I know that uh, Gussie's dad, Mr. Pace, developed that area. That's right. And I also remember casting some little alligators that may or may not have been <laughs> inhabiting our wetlands that you and said son Eric captured brought back. Yes, yeah. Yeah. Guilty <laughs> yep, is yep. charged. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We also and put put about uh, 40 turtles in the lake there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that, uh, and, and not to mention the ducks. And the ducks. And uh, the ducks, I don't know that there's as many there as there used to be. Um, I start a rumor every time I go down there that there's still a... Uh, an alligator or two out back because you know after i left they weren't allowed by the state to keep any gators in the enclosure anymore yeah um yeah. somebody fooled the state into thinking that i had two thousand hours of working with gators so we were <laughs> able to renew the permit i don't know maybe i started that room or somebody did maybe it was me but yeah. um you know what and eric you've continued you know that journey with mason Yep. And also your daughter. But, you know, the I, I can't tell you, I used to go down to watch Journeys just to get, um, you know, some headspace back. And it would be Eric and Mason, and they watch a Journey. Eric, how many times do you think you've seen Journeys? <laughs> quite a few. Yeah, yeah. quite a few. Yeah. That's, can't put a you know, if I would have had a popcorn machine in there, you, you never would have left. Yeah. Because then you would have had substance. So, you know, while I got you both on the in the room basically here at the same time, I want to ask you as two former presidents of the IGFA. No, uh, never a president. Oh. Never a president. All right. Well, I no. thought you were president. I'm sorry, Mike. 
Yeah, I yep. want, but I do want to. I do want to kind of ask you guys, like the responsibility of of holding your positions, and shall we say that at the IGFA, um, because I think you know overall, I always view it as you know hefty responsibility, you know, that you guys have to really keep it on the straight and narrow. I mean, there's got to be a big sense of pride working for the IGFA, no? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's in our it's years there were anyway. Yeah. Well, you know what? Absolutely. I would say the, the pinnacle of my professional career. I mean, I've had some really cool and lucky breaks from a kid from, you know, depressed uh, area of Maine. Uh, but uh, I think Mike uh, will agree with me. Um, you know, hard work, hard work and doing stuff over and over makes you better and luckier. You know, if you're not afraid to get in there and do some stuff, um, and I still go to IGFA. I don't really hang out like in the office area, but I do. Uh, recently, I took Gail and Denise out to lunch and had a great lunch. I think my favorite part of IGFA is the library. Um, yes, yeah. that's always been my favorite part for sure. You know, the the history of it and the record keeping and trying to keep stuff hard. Let's not make, you know, world records easy so everybody in the world can get a participation trophy, but keeping them hard and keeping people honest. And, you know, Mike started the offshore world championship. I was fortunate enough to uh, be able to take the reins of that. And we had the largest international tournament and most successful tournament in the world. And where we got to have people come to us uh, first in Hawaii and then in Cabo and the auctions that we used to have, Mike, how many people, 600 people, our 650 our record people. was 875, but the oh. one ballroom would only hold, I think 712 and people were mad at us because they couldn't get tickets most years. <laughs> right. Right. And, and you know what, uh, at the breakers, those big Bodo statues going underneath and the bowels of the breakers. <laughs> that was some of the creepiest stuff I've ever done for money. Yeah. I, mean, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. I got to tell that, you the, those breaker days, I mean, that that's when, that's when Mike um, really got me involved in there. It you know, allowed me to display my work. I mean, you know, 17, 18 year old kid having my work up in those auctions. And, you know, and that's when Tread Barter came along and, yeah. and, he was the first one to buy an original painting from me. Yeah. And, uh, those cool. a lot of artists got their first recognition. Yeah. In some of those really options. was the springboard is before yeah. the internet and mm -hmm. before social media, before, I mean, you really had to really claw your way through yeah. and, and make something for yourself. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm just going to start posting stuff up on this platform. And you know, you really had to work the channels and, and get involved and, you know, I mean, this is back in the day. This is when you had to do th things old school in the hard way. Yep. You know, and international to, I literally sport had fishing. to walk yeah. to the walk up to the IGFA and knock on the front door and say, <laughs> "Hey, uh, who do I talk to? I need to show you my work." You know, and you know, and it was, uh, you know, it, that that's yeah. that's really how things were done back then. Well, you know what? The most successful artist, whether you're a, a fine artist or a sculptor. Um, no matter what your medium is, you'll find and, and you look around and you still see it today. The people that lasted show up. They they connect with people. They, you know, press the flesh. They get out there. 
And, you know, I, I kid uh, a good friend of all of ours, Guy Harvey, all the time. I said, dude, you know how much easier it would have been if you would have been just like Tommy Bahama? You know, <laughs> you wouldn't have to be at all these shows. You wouldn't have to travel every freaking weekend. But, uh, yeah. you know, that's that's part of it, Dennis, and you get it. I mean, you're... Uh, and, and, you know, I'll just brag on Dennis for a minute. Not only is he a very successful artist, but he's to the point where he works uh, every single year with the U.S. Mint and works on coins. And if anyone hasn't seen his work, um, Dennis, tell them where they can see it. I mean, the, the recent Landycraft you did was just absolutely amazing. Oh, we just, we just released a coin for Louisiana. And, uh, and we, we designed the Higgins boat, the one that would storm the beaches of Normandy, because um, it was for the American Innovations series uh, for the night. So that's the, that's our latest coin that we have out. So. Well, I got to tell you, you know, it's uh, it's it's my my pleasure and privilege to be a small part of what you do with Connected by Water. And um, Mike, when you see Gussie, please, are you guys drinking any Papa's Pilar? By the oh, way, oh yeah, we are. We certainly so are. Yes, certainly we are. Actually, pouring actually, one right now. Yeah, now that you mentioned Carly's that. pouring one right now. She literally just walked over and grabbed my empty cup. Hey, Carly. Hi, Mike. How you doing, kiddo? Good. How are you, sir? Good. How's the babies? Growing, walking, driving. Right. Driving. Right. <laughs> driving. Driving. Yeah. Driving. You know, all that good stuff. Yeah. Picking but, up the pizza. Uh, you know, I just poured myself a little dram of, and I'd like to uh, have a have a toast to three great fathers that are in the room uh, right now oh, to well. a wonderful mother, Carly. <laughs> right. Carly just took Eric's cup. <laughs> we'll go raise a fist. Raise a there fist. You right, go. Here we go. Why, yep. why are they taking your cup, Eric? Are you there driving? Because he's yeah. got it now. He's yeah, got there it. There we go. Cheers. Yeah. Okay. Eric, Eric is Cheers. drinking dark. Happy I'm Father's drinking Day. light. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Eric. Yeah, Very good. We're dark and light here at the table. So, well, Mike, listen, we appreciate everything you do for us. Really, I mean, it, it truly is truly is special that what we've been able to achieve here with you. And you know, it's it's you guys keep the lights on here for us and allow us to do this week after week. So, uh, we definitely well, feel the love. It's my pleasure, but I will share one more quick thing. Yeah, the look of pride that Mike had when we were sitting, Mike. I think we were sitting either in the lunchroom or we we're heading back toward your office and you told me that Eric had got a job on the French look. <laughs> yeah. And I don't yeah. know that I've ever seen that much pride in Eric. How old were you back then? 18. Yeah. I right, mean, right out of uh, high school. How about your first job being on the French look? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's incredible. And I want to tell you, your, your dad was grinning like the butcher's dog. <laughs> he was so happy about that. And, uh, you know, all the accolades you've got, Eric, with your efficient career are well-deserved and well-earned. So here's to you guys. You guys have a great night. Go tell some uh, fishing stories. Lie a little bit if you need to. Embellish as much as you can. We're trying. And, yep. uh, you guys have a great Father's Day weekend. Nice yeah, to you hear too, from you, Mike. Yeah, nice to hear okay. from you. All right. Thank, Thank you. you, guys. All right. Bye. Good old Mike. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Talking about the French look. Yeah. We had always told Eric, particularly his mom, he said, you know, when you get out in the world here, you're going to have to know you want to be a captain or a mate. You're going to have to know how to 
cook. You're going to have to know how to do your laundry. You're going to have to new, do all this stuff. His first big job, other than day mating uh, on the local charter boats, was on the French look. I mm -hmm. mean, he flew to Hawaii to get on the boat. We did not see him for one year. 13 months. Everybody else came back for Thanksgiving and from college and Christmas they were there and Easter they were there. Eric was gone and uh, first first uh, Thanksgiving that came up, we were really kind of depressed. So we went up to Disneyland. You cannot be depressed in Disney. Right. And uh, that was our escape. That, that was your cure? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To, to cure the so blues. Carlene, I think this gone. is the perfect segue um, into our strange questions because our first question has to deal with exactly that topic. Right? From Charlie Levine. Charlie Levine. Right? Oh, that, yeah. That asks hey, this Charlie. first question. He wants to know how protective, Mike, you were when Eric started started to travel. When he started to what? When to he travel? started to travel. Oh, travel. I was not protected at all. I was not protective at all. I mean, he was gone. That's a... So you were ready. That's Confident. all he wanted to do was fish. And we had one day, we had the French look happened to be in Port Everglades. Mm -hmm. And we were invited down to have dinner on board. And they showed us around. I think Mikey Latham was there at the what, time. James, yep. And that was Eric's dream job to someday work on something like the French look. And dreams come true yeah <laughs> so he was on there and we were delighted for him that he could get there um 18 years old though 18 it's, years old he was gone right out of high school <laughs> yeah and uh all we told him about having to cook and have he had a french chef they had a hostess <laughs> on board to take care of everything <laughs> all he had to do was fish and oh, clean the horrible. boat you know that sounds horrible uh, Eric. It was tough. but he is a good cook now and he knows how to do laundry and everything <laughs> else but uh well i think that answers another one of our questions from andy moyes yeah about what was the best part of your career and what did you learn from james roberts eric what did i learn james was a very good hands-on as far as a teaching captain mm -hmm. he, he taught us you know jody and i but me how to varnish you know we're we we're varnishing stuff, touch up painting the engines. Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, he was the one teaching me how to do oil changes. You know, when we were changing oil and stuff like that. So he was a very hands-on. You know, come down here, let me show you. He was a he was a great teacher and mentor. And yeah, you know, name. it's that's really so important, not just in fishing, but in any career, is to have that mentor or that or that guidance. You know, I remember when I first. See, after we did all the stuff when I was, I had to talk with my dad and he's like, listen, you've experienced some early success here with the IGFA stuff and the stuff you're doing with the Billfish Foundation and, you know, it's in the Wildfish Collection and that's really good and all. He goes, but you're young. You don't, I, I'd like you to go to college, you know, and still do that. You, you got all this other time to work all this stuff out. And he was right. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and I went to college, but when I got out, you know, I, I never stopped painting fish. Yep. I always have, like mm -hmm. my entire life, mm -hmm. like nonstop. And, but I took this job in the music business, right? Because I, on a whim, someone said, <laughs> someone gave me a job lead, like, hey, this is a really cool job opening here for an entry level graphic designer. 
in the music business and you should check it out you know and i was like wow we're designing cd covers and music magazines this is a really cool job yeah i'll, I'll try this for a little bit and it like my it mm-hmm. i ended up staying there for 17 years <laughs> right but the cool thing is is i had uh, a mentor there a creative director that really taught me how to be a professional and that was really 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 important i could have stayed doing what i was doing you know and just doing my own thing but i really look back on it now and i think not doing that really really helped me a lot it, it, it helped me become a professional it helped me to understand how to do the little things right mm-hmm. you know and, and to have someone show you how to do those Absolutely. organizational sure. things and the, the the not the pretty stuff you know the behind the scenes stuff and and laying that foundation for you so now when i did come out and eventually quit my day job i went right back into doing what i did i mm-hmm. opened this place up and and all stuff like that and we're right back at it you know but now i have all this other stuff under my belt that is just so valuable yep. i think mm-hmm. to, to making you a professional i had an opportunity to go work in the Cayman Islands to be a graphic designer. And I had been working at this place for about a year and a half. And I said, my dad, you know what I mean? So this is a Father's Day episode, so I'm going to relate mm-hmm. it like this, right? So I said to my dad, I said, well, I have this opportunity. I can move to the Cayman Islands. That's where Guy Harvey's from. <laughs> or he lives or whatever, yeah. you know, and all this stuff like that. I, this is what I want to do. And he said, listen, pump the brakes a little bit, okay? <laughs> Who's the boss down there? I said, well, I'll be the boss. They want to make me the creative director. Because you're not a boss. Because <laughs> you've only been doing this for a year and a half. Because you're going to take this job, and it might be fun, and you might learn cool things or anything like that. He's like, but you're not going to have anybody to guide you. You're not going to have anyone to teach you anything. And what's it going to amount to? You're going to live in the islands. That's fun and everything. But, you know, and in hindsight, I stayed at this job, and I really learned a lot in mm-hmm. that I don't know. I want to know when I went off on a tangent there, but you sparked, you sparked kind of a memory about how my dad guided me yeah. through that. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really, really important advice that he gave me because now I see it yep. later in life. Now yeah. I see what he was talking yeah. about. Having yeah. mentors, I think, is very important. And, and Eric has gone out of his way to fish with some of the top people in the world of fishing yeah. and learned a lot. And now he's one of the experts, you know, yeah. <laughs> Not many people can beat him as far as knowledgeable things and tournaments and, and anything you want to know. From light tackle freshwater to saltwater marlin and swordfish. He's done it all. Yeah. And I you know, and I can attest to that. I mean, your reputation is impeccable. I mean it, and and I'm not trying to say that to float your boat or make your head big or anything Thank like you. that, but when when you say the name Eric Leach, you know, especially at this point, everyone knows. All right, that's that's one of those real guys, you know, real legit kind of kind of yeah. thing. So, um, yeah. but I do add, you know, a lot of people are like, ah, oh. obviously my dad had the connections. Mm-hmm. Everybody in the world that fishes knows my dad. Sure, and uh, and obviously that's how I got, you know, my first few jobs or whatever. Well, on that note, is but it- I did keep them. Mm-hmm. I did keep them. Yeah, yeah, that's important. <laughs> I like to say that I did keep. Yeah, it. no, that's important. <laughs> but, but obviously, having a dad was my dad was great. Well, so is it true that your dad had to give out an IGFA record to your principal so you'd graduate from high no, school? That was, <laughs> that was not true. But we might have taken a few of my teachers fishing to help so me. You can guess who asked that question? Oh yeah, that was fly. 
Yep. <laughs> <laughs> ding, ding, ding. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Fly also asks, um, with you being so conservation-minded, um, how did Eric come to be the all-out killer that he is? That's <laughs> another Fly question. Now, Eric is very conservation-minded as well. You know, I don't think he kills any fish that somebody's not going to eat or it's required in a tournament yeah. for points. Yeah. Um, we got some questions from Bouncer there, don't we, Carlene? Mike, he wants to know if king sh- kingfish will bite your feet on the deck. Uh, <laughs> one of my stories with with my son, we were fishing. Just the two of us. Yeah, just the two of us. That, that one, it was the Miami Billfish Tournament. First day, first morning, we hooked up with a decent-sized kingfish that was certainly weighable. And as we're getting it into the fish box, it hit my ankle just above my shoe and cut me pretty good. Really? And I started bleeding. Didn't give you like a grab and a wiggle, did it? No, no, no. It just, it was shaking its head and it just hit my ankle. That's all it, it didn't bite like that. It just hit me on the side. So I didn't think that much of it. It didn't hurt. Found out later on it cut a nerve. That's why it didn't hurt. Oh, wow. But, uh, really? Uh, so anyway, we bandaged it up, get out the first aid kit, bandaged it up, and we continued to fish. And after the next drift, I looked down, and my shoe was absolutely full of blood. So I said, well, obviously my bandaging didn't work too well. Uh, I'm going to have to go in and see a doctor. So we called into the committee boat. And we said, we're coming in. If you could get someone to drive me to an emergency room, it'd be good. And uh, so, uh, sure enough, the girl waiting there, and she drives me to the emergency room. Julie Wheeler, Eddie Wheeler's wife. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. She used to sell temperature maps. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, anyway, so she drops me off at, at the emergency room down there on Miami Beach, and I leave a trail of blood walking up to the girl that wanted to register me in or whatever. And in the meantime, Eric, not going to lose fishing for a day, he's scrounging around the dock and finds Pierre Pierce, another artist. Yeah, I remember Pierre to, yeah, uh, back in the day. To, the uh, Pierre Pierce yeah. said, yeah, I'll go out with you. So they fish the rest of oh, the day. Oh, Pierre, that's a blast from the past <laughs> theme right there. Yeah. So uh, I was waiting to get stitched up. And uh, I think it was like 25 stitches or something like that before they patched They did two oh, rows wow. inside the yeah. meat and then yeah. outside. So, it was the, so I good. got hit in the face of the putter when I was 12. Oof. They had 24 stitches, 12 on the inside, 12 on the outside because it was so yeah. deep. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So, uh, I mean, but the real question on everyone's mind is how much did the kingfish weigh? I think it was It was pounds. leading the first day. I remember that. Yeah. Because you want to make sure you get your money. I don't know. Do you remember how much it was? There? I want to say it was exactly 30 or 30. 30? Yeah. I yeah. want to say. It, a decent uh, sized king. All right. Well, I mean, did you, you? it wasn't worth anything at the end of the Did you get a daily out of it? Or? I don't think so. You know, no. There's no, the we, bill for we, just we a bloody sock. Bouncer was there in the tournament, so I'm leave it to Bouncer to remember something like that. <laughs> yeah, well, Bouncer also wants to know which leech caught the biggest swordfish. Oh, that would be my son. Yeah, but we used an electric. Yeah? We got a 501 on an electric. On an electric? Yeah. yeah. My biggest fighting and catching five hours and 15 minutes on 50-pound test, mm-hmm. 
by IGFA rules was three seventy three 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 sixty five. Yeah, all reeled in. All reeled in. Nighttime, wow. five hours at night. Wow, nice. Yep, nice. Very cool. All right, what other questions do we have lined up here, Carlene? Well, there's two of them looking back at the Miami Billfish that you guys had. There was took second place in the in the first Miami Beach Billfish release tournament with a couple white marlin. This is from Bouncer. Right. You guys had a white marlin. I know we won with a couple sailfish and a blue marlin. Yeah, I think Bouncer's asking. I think he's probably a, trying to get you to clarify what happened. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if he remembers or not. Unofficial Grand Slam. Yeah, that that was. It was an interesting. It was the last day of the tournament, and we were somewhere in the middle. Um, I think we had a couple of sailfish, something like that. And f- I've forgotten if somebody stole our bait or most of our baits died or whatever. So we had, I think, 13 baits when we left that morning. Mm-hmm. And so I had a couple of packages of frozen ballyhooed. When we ran out of live bait, we were going to just troll for dolphin and maybe try for the biggest dolphin or whatever. So we set up off, uh, off uh, Crandon Park and we're drifting with a kite and the two guys with me said, oh, there's a shark, there's a shark coming up. I didn't see it. Uh, and they said, I said, are you sure it's a shark? He said, yeah, it's a shark. I said, well, why don't you take it then because sharks don't count. So let them have some fun. So my friend Gordon Cooper picks up the rod and he's trying to hook the so-called shark and the white marlin sticks its head out of the water. I said, oh. <laughs> now I just blew a white marlin because Gordon Cooper has got the rod in his hand. Right. Then I realized Gordon had picked up the wrong rod. There was, oh, really? there was nothing on his bait at all. <laughs> so I picked up the other rod and I hooked the white marlin. Great start to the day. Mm-hmm. We brought it in, got a, held it halfway out of water, took a picture, let it go. This is when they were d- different points. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Not, yeah. Not right. white it is marlin today. didn't count as much as a blue marlin and sailfish yep. were less. less than 50 out. points, yeah. 100 points, 200 points. Yeah, yeah. Something, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So... Um, we went through the rest of the day, and I think we had some kingfish cutoffs that killed our baits. And anyway, we're down to like three baits at one o'clock in the afternoon, mm-hmm. and we're just drifting directly off um, the the cut at at uh, Miami. And with there's a color change where the tide was going out, and there was a green water and blue water. We're just drifting there, waiting for the end of the tournament. Up comes a billfish and grabs a flat line, not even a, a kite bait. We only had three bait. They were our last three semi-live baits. And it screams around, takes my bait, screams around the back of the boat and up to the bow. Well, the third guy in the boat was my dear lifelong friend. His name was Tom Buffum. So he's running the boat. But he wouldn't know a blue marlin from a white marlin. <laughs> so can't count on him. So we're chasing this fish down. And I fish very light drag. Mm-hmm. So the blue marlin had not jumped. And we weren't sure what the heck it was. You know, We didn't think it was a sailfish because it, it screamed up. Anyway, we're following it. And I'm saying a little faster, a little faster. No, no, slow down, slow down. So we get up 
just a little bit behind the fish and I'm looking down on this fish. He's at about 10 feet below the surface. And I'm saying, that's a blue marlin. Small, maybe 100 pounds, but mm -hmm. it definitely was not a white marlin. Lit up. And, um, I mean, a white marlin would have these neon blue pectoral fins right. and all that, and much skinnier. This was a nice... A round back. So I tell, yeah. I tell my friend Gordon, I said, we've got to get a picture of this. Nobody's going to believe this. And so my first mistake was we were fighting it off the bow. I should have had it back in the stern. Right. But make a long story short, we finally get up, and Gordon grabs the leader, and the fish came up and made one jump like that and broke off. But he grabbed the leader. But he had the leader. So it was an official yeah. release. Right. And I'm saying, I cannot call that. If they give us a lie detector test, my friend Tom has no clue the difference between one and the other. Gordon saw it for like three seconds as it came up and shook its head. I don't know if he could pass a lie detector test. You didn't see it? I saw it. I knew it you was. You saw it. I was. Yeah. 99% sure it was a blue marlin. Sure. But I told Tom, I said, call it in as a white marlin. Nobody's going to believe we had a, a grand slam. <laughs> yeah, we had caught a, a sailfish that day, too. So, so we, as far had, as the tournament's concerned, they thought it was it two was whites. It was two whites and a sail. But it was really and a I, grand we, slam. We won the small boat division. I was, that was before me. Yeah. You know, I, you, know, you know why I love this story? Because as former president of the IGFA, as someone who is got, like, nope, it's got to be right. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It does you even checked right. yourself that day. Yeah. Because well, you said 99%, not 100 Yes, exactly right. And that 1% was enough for you to just be Mr. Honest. Yeah, yeah. I, knew, I love that. that, that I, I knew think, the two guys I think that says everything about you, <laughs> yeah. Mike. No, no, I'm not kidding. No. Really, that, that's an admirable thing. I mean, I mean, how many guys would do that? The clout, you, oh, I got a Grand Slam in that Miami <laughs> Billfish tournament. No, I got that. I got that. They bragged I, I to the day is long about that. I remember when we called it in, Frank Johnson was also of Molecraft. Lewis right. was, was also fishing the tournament. And he didn't know who was calling in a, a second white marlin. They said, oh, BS, you know, that fellow. <laughs> So when we got to the dock, he came up to me. He said, I didn't know that was you. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> I know if you said it was a marlin, it was a marlin. Because you know? <laughs> it was the first year it was all released. That was I mean, yeah, I guess it's, you know, I would have to say, honestly, I mean, you're looking at this thing. And you know the difference between the way a back on a blue looks and yeah. the way a back on a white looks. Yeah. I mean, the white's yeah. like a sailfish almost. I mean, yeah, it, the, exactly. the, the, but yeah. no mistake in it, really. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's anyway. great. That's a great story. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks to Bouncer. I mean, Bouncer might have to be the winner of, 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 <laughs> of the stories after after hearing that one. What do you got teed up for us here, Carlene? George Poveromo. Oh, Georgie. See, one people. First off, he wants to let you know how proud you are, how proud he is of you being a devoted deva devoted Mako owner back in the day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'd like to know why the boat's name is meant to be. That's another interesting story. Oh, there's it, a story it, to that, it huh? It was the first IGFA dinner auction. Forgotten what year it was, 19-whatever. It was a long time ago. And Mako had agreed to donate a boat. And I wanted to buy that boat personally. What was it? It was a 21-foot Mako. And... uh 
the first auction was not at the Breakers Hotel. It was the Flagler Museum. Oh, wow. And uh, we had <laughs> the auctioneer was one of our trustees, Steve Sloan. Where'd you guys do it? In, in the main room right, right well, when you walked in? Well, we were in? hoping when we, when we first announced the thing, we were hoping to get 300 people. Right. So we had 600 people showed up. Oh, at the Flagler Museum? At the Flagler Museum. 300 wow. of them were in another room. I would have to think, I mean, because because I I've been there. Yeah, I I know the layout. That's yeah. why I was asking where'd you where'd you put that? Yeah. Any anyway, uh, to get to the meant to be part sure, of it. Sure. Sure. We had finally the boat came up for auction. I had somebody in the audience, one of my friends, bidding on it for me, and I said go up to nineteen thousand mm-hmm. dollars. So it oh, comes so it's up a live auction. and it, the boat goes for like. 22,000 or something. I mean, you could buy a nice boat back then. That's how long ago it was. <laughs> right, right, right. Yep. Yeah. 22,000, so 20- that's the gas bill in the Bahamas now. Boat, motor, and trailer. <laughs> I think it went for twenty-one, twenty-two thousand dollars 22000 Okay, well, we tried anyway. Um, then the guy comes up to me and he said, I didn't think I was, I thought, I was just putting my hand up. I didn't really think I was going to get it. I can't buy it. I said, okay, we'll re-auction it. You know, so I yeah. tell Steve Sloan, the auctioneer, auction it again. So it comes up again. And this time it goes for $21,000. I said, well, okay. My my guy had bid up to $19,000. And... um so that kid comes up to me and says, my wife says I can't have the boat. <laughs> so Third auction it again. Charm. <laughs> so it came up again. This time I bought it for $19,000. And the guy that had volunteered to help me that night mm-hmm. put every chair up and take every chair down and table and then pack the, everything back into a truck and bring it back to Pompano. Um, he was there, Tom Buffum, my friend. And uh, he said it was meant to be. <laughs> and I said, well, that's what we're going to call the first boat. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I like it. Yeah. You know, it's funny. You, you mentioned um, bring it back to Pompano, right? And I want to bring it back to Pompano for a second here. Mm-hmm. One kind of, I don't even want to say question, but one topic that we always touch on here is the theory behind... Pompano Beach is the cradle of civilization when it comes to fishing. Mm-hmm. We look at modern yeah. day fishing, right? right? And, and we really, we, we really try to beat this like a dead horse on this show <laughs> yeah. because I see it all the time. Yeah, like Peter Wright, look, Barkey Gardens. And- you go anywhere in the world where all the best and biggest fish are being caught, chances are you're going to find at least one dude from Pompano there. Mm-hmm. Probably. Right? And... He, it just seems like that it's just in the DNA of this town. <laughs> mm-hmm. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, as IGF, former IGFA president, where IGFA's headquarters used to be in Pompano. Yeah. Well, at the, at the time, back in those days, our we had a warehouse. That's where we brought everything back to a warehouse. Our headquarters was still in Fort Lauderdale. But we did move right up the street here and from where we are right now and spent quite a few years there. But... You're absolutely right about Pompano being the kind of the center of the universe. I mean, Peter B. Wright was from here, Barky Garnsey, Eric can name a bunch more yeah. that 
got their start here. I mean, you got your Skip Smiths, your Carl Andersons, yeah, you know, absolutely. all these guys here. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, go on and on and on. Yeah, it's it's I don't know. It just baffles yeah, my mind. I mean, I just wanted you to put your seal of approval on that one yeah. for me because yeah, we talk about it all the time. Yeah. And I don't want to make it sound like I'm always being a homer, <laughs> you know, by by saying that. But I'm like, yeah. and now you got other guys coming up. You you got Eric. You got Art Sapp. You know, it's like they're all just yep. bringing up the rear here. There's that so many legacy. fishermen here. You know, it's good fishing. Yeah, Skip Dana. I mean, look at all yeah. these guys. You've, you know, so you've got live baiting. It's competitive. So the the guys that are competitive that are yeah. going to be better in the cream of the crop are learning from each other and trying to progress to beat the next guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got live baiting. You're close to the Bahamas. So you're trolling for dolphin, marlin, you know. We've got probably one of the best sword fisheries in the entire world, right? Right in our backyard, you know. So it's hundred percent, and yeah. then you can do all kinds of different fishing. Yep, you're yeah. two hours from yeah, everything. Bass, Flat the tarpon, fishing, the billfish. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to reef. Right. I mean, all in the same day. Yeah, you that's why to... when I did that bridge with the Atlantic Harmony, that's why I was like, like, oh, what are you going to put on the bridge? And I started really racking my brain. I'm like, man, we got everything here. What are you talking yeah. about? I'm going to put it all in there. You know, I got <laughs> enough space. Yeah, you know what I mean. I'm going to put it all in there. I got a whole bridge. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, how could I not? I, mean, I don't know. That, that's kind of what I saw when mm-hmm. I did that. I was like, man, I got to do it all there. But then I look at all the little groms out here. You know what I mean? And, you know, all, all the kids that, you look at Lorelai. You know what I mean? She, she's 18. She's just graduating high school now. She's on her way to UF. And and Jonah, like the, those two right there just exemplify just the legacy continuing of, yep. of, of Pompano. Yeah. yeah. You know, really. I mean. Yep. My my son and his friend just last week, I don't know, Thursday or Friday or something, they, they're going out on their little 17-foot boat. And they, you know. Yeah. It was a big thing. They caught it like a 25-pound Wahoo trolling the other day right yeah. out front. 7 a.m. He caught that. Sending me pictures of his <laughs> Wahoo right out front. So, yeah, that's, that's it, man. Continuing. I remember the days, man. I'm fishing with matt white and frank gibbs we're running out on frank 17 <laughs> whaler all the way out you know what i mean yep. just catching dolphin and yeah. you know we were you know, cutting class and and all that and sorry dad yep. you know but it, it would happen from time to time but that's really how you got to do it man yeah sometimes it doesn't matter if you got this big sporty or you know you're on this big that's fancy it. program it's just it's just about going out and catching fish yep yeah the um i want to ask something here um, to both you guys, right? And and Carly, and I'm going to take this one from Andy because it's a simple question, right? And but I really want you to think about it, and I want to ask it in two ways, right? So I'm going to add on to. So Andy Moyes asks another question. He wants mm-hmm. to know what your best day fishing was, right? But I'd really like to know, um, individually what your best days fishing were, and together, what your best day fishing together was if if you guys could think about that maybe you're not prepared to answer that yet or not or you have to think about it I don't well know. i i what i would say to that question is there was so many great days and and it's not so much the great days are not what you caught it's who you were with i agree during that yeah. time 100 percent. yeah that matters more yeah. i think yeah i can tell you what my best biggest fish was a most unusual fish or that type of thing but the best day 
I, we've had so many of them. That's a wonderful so many. part yeah. of yeah. fishing. Yeah, that's it's a tough question to ask guys like yeah. you who fish so much. Yeah. I mean, how do you how do you say yeah. what the best? But day it, is? it's not the day I caught the most fish or the won a tournament. It, it's I, I give you a story. We used to run kids tournaments. We had mm-hmm. IGFA ran three junior angler tournaments. Sure. And one of them was in Dania, and after the tournament, we'd have a nice sit-down dinner, barbecue, right? Um, ribs and chicken and that type of thing. And we'd have a raffle and give out the prizes to all the kids. And one of the dads came up to me, and he said, I want to thank you for just the best day fishing I ever had. I said, well, I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. What, what, what did you catch? He said, nothing. <laughs> I said, nothing. <laughs> he said, no, we didn't catch anything. We went out. And we weren't doing any good offshore, so we came in, and we came into the little creek here in Dania, and the kids got out, and they splashed around, and Mom was here, and Dad, and the kids, and now we're in here. It was the best day we've ever had fishing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's great. I always think the best days are always with the kids. Yeah. I I really do. I mean, I had a really great day uh, fishing with my son. Um, you know, Mike Lamb had just got the Island Rover, the, the, the Merit there, and we went fishing with him and it was a kid's day. It was a father, it was all the dads brought their mm-hmm. sons on the boat and it was really such a great day. And Rory was there and Rory brought his grandson. Art was up in the, in, on the bridge and he took us all out and, and it really was like we put the kites up and went for sails and we didn't get a sail and it was just wanted to do the real quick and then Art's like, Let's just go, let's just drop some let's get some triggers or we'll drop on the reef or something like that and then all the kids were pulling on fish. All the kids were pulling up these little triggers mm-hmm. and to, and they yeah. had the best time. Yeah. And it was really just like a half day fishing and yeah. on the way back just having like sitting in the salon and just having a one on one with Roy and just you know, and it was just really just those see those are the days that I love. Yeah. You know, it's it's not the tournament days. Right. It's not the money days and all that. It's yep. it's the days where you just the intrinsic value of what you're doing, mm-hmm. you take that away with you and you know, like like the one where we were talking before the show even started, how I took my daughter out with Bill Lepree. Yep. And she caught her first clown and yep. and, and, and seven peacocks and and she she still just won't shut up about <laughs> it, you know, and, and she wants to go again, she wants yeah. to go again yep. and you know it was the funny story about that is it was the night after we all as a family, my wife and the two kids, right? My daughter, and my son, we went to the Panther game the night before. And obviously we're in playoffs yeah. now. And I don't know by the time this airs, if we're done it, or maybe by the time this airs, we're Stanley cup champions. I don't know <laughs> because we got a week before this goes. Um, but it was the night after Matthew Kachuk scored that goal with four seconds left to put us into the Stanley Cup. And we were all there as a family. I could not get my son out of bed the next morning. You couldn't my, speak the next day. Is that what I talked about? I, I lost my no voice voice. the whole thing. I, I never yelled so loud in my life when Kachuk got that goal four seconds left. But my daughter came hop right out of bed. She's like, all right, I'm ready. I'm like, all right, well, we're not getting Sean out of bed. So it's just the two of us. And we went, we met up with Bouncer. We fished with Bouncer mm-hmm. and, and, um, and, and Bill Lepree and, yeah, and then we ended up having a glorious day fishing, and it was kind of worth all the pain and suffering of the dragging our asses out of bed. Yeah. But we had a great day. Same thing for my son. Yeah. Usually for his birthday every year, you know, most day, you know, let him skip school, and we we fish with people. You know, Brian Sanders, Bill Lapree, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Brian's another great one to yeah. go with. Yeah, 
And, uh, you know, we all, the one day, the first day we went with Bill LaPree. Yeah. None of us had caught a clown knife fish. We all caught clown knife yeah. fish. We caught six or seven that day. Bill's money, man. Yeah. You know, peacocks, yeah. you know, yeah. sunshine yeah. bass, striped bass, crappie, everything. We had a, that yeah. was a great day. That was one of the great days. We've, you know, we've had a yeah. ton of great days. Yeah. But I, talking about the Wahoo and the rodeo earlier, to this day, I still remember my dad, you know, when the Wahoo's up and down, obviously it's a big Wahoo, short pumps when it's straight up and down. Don't yeah. pull it up real hot. Short right. Pump. Go with the waves yep. and all that. Still, yeah. to this day, that sticks in my mind. Anyway, fish is straight up and down, nice short pumps. Yep. And, uh, you know, we've had, you know, Christmas Eve, yeah. Christmas Wait, uh, night, yeah. sword fishing. I, I was going to bring that one up. What is it about holidays? Yeah, like great yeah. things always happen on the holidays, well, don't those, they? Those are the easier to remember. <laughs> Christmas, I've forgotten what year it was. We'd opened all our presents. It was a nice day. The weather was great. So, and it was, you know, back in the early swordfish days. So we said, well, sitting around the afternoon, let's go sword fishing. Well, probably wasn't on the top of my wife's list to go sword fishing <laughs> sure. that, that night on Christmas <laughs> night. But she wasn't going to be left behind. So the three of us get in the boat. We go out, and it was almost as soon as it got dark. Yeah. Eric hooks up with a sword fish and brings in a nice sword fish, 100 pounds. I've forgotten yeah, what 100, it was. 125 pounds. So uh, we look at each other. With, hey, we got a nice sword fish in the boat. It's Christmas. Let's go home. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, the wind had come northwest. <laughs> oh wow! So getting home wasn't all that yeah. comfortable. But jacked up a, on you. That a little was bit. a Christmas yeah. night swordfish. Yeah. Just the three of us. Yeah, you know, it's it's really amazing that you guys have been able. To, I mean, not only just um, you know, for you, Mike, to you know have your legacy continue. Yeah, through such a great Absolutely. vessel as the sun that you have here. Yep. Um, I remember, you know, many a nights drifting out of hollover shrimp at night for tarpon. Or yeah. He always had flats boats going over to Flamingo and Chukalusky and yeah. redfish and snook. And when I joined the his fishing club, the Sport Fisherman of Broward, mm-hmm. we had, we'd always keep a boat in Key West in that winter. And I just turned 18 and joined the club. And we've got the boat in Key West. And they have an overall division. And so you have to have, you know, you have to catch four or five species on each, you know, fly, ultralight, plug, spin, light general, and general. So we're there, and I'm bottom fishing and catching some nice muttons. Nope, kingfisher biting. Here, catch one on general, catch one on 20, catch one on plug, catch one on spin, catch one on fly. And he would make me do it and help me win the tournament just because he was meant to, nope, this is what you got. Okay, oh, you know, the jacks are here. We got to catch jacks. All right, you got to catch four permit today. You got to catch whatever. The, the funny part was when the, when the kingfish used to gather down there, they were very reliable in the winter. That every commercial boat from miles around would be out there. Mm-hmm. And they're going around in circles, you know, with the commercial gear, almost like hand lining them in. And we're out there catching them on spin and all this other. And they're looking at us like we're crazy. You know, we quick weigh it, you know, and throw it overboard. And these guys are bailing them into the <laughs> fish box, you know. They must have thought we were nuts. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, I don't know. This is great. 
Absolutely. Yeah, if people look for magic on Earth, I mean, this is it, right? I <laughs> yeah. mean, really. I mean, you can't ask for much more. Yeah. We've had good family days. That, that I think we found the day that uh, my wife got her um, triple tail world record. Okay. We were out flat calm day, and we started spotting the, the uh, uh, Cuban rafts. Mm-hmm. It was back in the day when President Carter had welcomed everybody. And Is that when you found Fly? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so we're getting Eric awesome. is climbing in the Cuban rafts and we're taking pictures. And so there was a nice triple tail under one of the rafts. My wife catches it on four pound test and we're pretty sure it was a world record. So we put it in the live well, brought it back. I think we waited in Pompano on the dock, still alive, waited, took a picture let it go and it turned out it was a world record and even so we caught it maybe 10 miles offshore wow uh she released it alive which she was very every one of her 17 records were released alive all right so i have a question for you all right that i try to ask every episode sometimes i forget i asked you and i try to ask this because i think it's a really really important question it speaks to the passion of what we do, uh, speaks to the passion of the sport, but more importantly, it just speaks to the passion of why we do it in the first place. Can you tell me what your one that got away is? Oh, gosh. I've had a lot of big fish get away. I fished 46 days in Kona to try and catch a blue marlin mm-hmm. over many years. I have never caught a blue marlin in Kona because I've, every one I've hooked, I've lost. But another big one, I've, uh, and one of them I was fishing with Guy Harvey one day. Mm-hmm. And uh, big marlin comes up. And behind our, my lure, he's got one side, I've got the other side. And it comes up and comes up and comes, and then just fades away. That was a big marlin. So the captain turns the boat around to go back over the same spot. That marlin is not going to come back. You know, he's long gone. Darned if this marlin doesn't come up, you know. And he's he's like swimming right behind the lure, you know, like he can't catch it. I said, surely he can catch it. The captain pulled back the throttles, and the lure went down his throat. Right. So I had this guy on for about a half hour, and I'd forgotten. Somehow the hook just pulled. That was one of them. Another one was fishing in Madeira, when uh, the captain called the fish I had hooked eight or 900 pounds, mm-hmm. and I fought that one for about 45 minutes, and the hook just came out. That's a big so fish. So those are two very big fish that I didn't catch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, listen, it's crazy how those they stick with you. Yeah. You know, because you didn't really hesitate <laughs> when, no, when you want to no, tell me those. Yeah. You know, but that, yeah. that's, that's outstanding. That's outstanding. Yep. I think we've reached the end of our questions on there. Okay. Um, and I want to just leave you guys um, with this thought. Okay. Um, it's just to reel it back in a little bit and say it's our Father's Day episode. Mm. And this has been really special to me to have both you guys on here. Um, it, and I mean that from the bottom <laughs> of my heart. Um, you're talking about a guy who just lost his dad about a year and a half ago. And I understand the value of that. 
yeah. of, of you having your dad here, you being able to share all these special moments together. Um, and you look back and just being able to reminisce together. And I'm glad that we were able to bring it to the table yeah. and, and kind of, you know, just hash it out with you guys and, and, and you know, relive some of those moments yeah. with you guys. And it's really been truly my honor. Yeah. 100%. Wow. That's Thank you for having us. And I yeah. mean, we could talk father and son experiences <laughs> for another eight hours. I guess. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I will say I was very lucky. You leave you it, we leaving anything off the yeah. table to bring it. But, uh, you know, he took me to Cozumel, caught a blue marlin there, you know, sailfish. Mm -hmm. Went sword fishing one night there. We didn't catch a swordfish, but caught a grouper. You know, Venezuela, Panama, Costa Rica. So you guys times. have been to all these places together? Mm -hmm. That was, yeah, yeah, middle school and high school. That's that, fantastic. Our family yeah. trips. We yeah. didn't go skiing. Bahamas, right. we, Bimini. Yeah. yeah. Yep. We'd take our little yeah. boat over there and go. Anchor up on the front and the go Mako? wait around. Yep. Really? Yep. Wait around for bonefish and mm -hmm. do everything. Yeah. That's great. Yep. That's outstanding. Good days. Well, listen, thank you guys very much. Thank I you. want to wish you both a very happy Father's Day. Thank you. I hey, want to wish too, a happy too. Father's Day to, thank you very much. Yep. I, I want to wish a happy Father's Day to Mike. Yep. Right? To your Mike over there. Right? We got Mike over here. We got Mike <laughs> over there. We got Mike Mike that called in earlier. Um, Mike check. <laughs> Mike check. I want to, you know, and you know, wish a happy Father's Day to all the fathers um, that are in our audience listening to this show today. Um, Absolutely. It, Take your kids fishing. Yeah, because yes. because that's what it's all about. Mm. You know, I mean, we have Bouncer on the show a lot, and he he preaches that all the time. It's all about the kids. It's all about the kids. It's all about the yeah. kids. And there's there's no deeper truth about fishing than mm. that. Um, that when it comes to fishing, um, it's family first. I always believe, um, you know, you could be the toughest, meanest angler in the world, you know what I mean? But it doesn't mean anything if you don't leave a legacy of importance and respect for somebody yeah. about it. So Absolutely. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. I mean, and, and that's, I think, the point we wanted to prove today. Okay. Um, so, um, again, gentlemen, thank you again. Thank uh, you. I'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, Papa's Pilar Rome, and thank our sponsor, Joey Cardi, and thank our sponsor, The W Sauce, uh, for keeping the lights on here and keeping everything flowing properly. So... Mike Leach, Eric Leach, thank you very much. All right, we're going to end this like we always do, okay? Your ego is not your amigo. <laughs> always do your best, and at the end of the day, just let God do the rest, and do not ever forget that no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, we're all connected by water. Cheers. 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 Cheers.